0: No, I, 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 this is the hardest text in Galatians we're going to handle tonight. So we're going to read from Galatians 4 and from verse 12. And before we read, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your flawless word. Uh, teach us about you, about who you are. Teach us about ourselves, about what we need. And show us Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So from Galatians 4, verse 12, Paul speaking I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Oh, those people who are zealous to win you over, but for no goods. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, from, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, You who have no labour pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit it is the same now but what does scripture say get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son therefore brothers we are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman amen this is god's word Well, how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Good. If you haven't, you should. It's a work by John Bunyan, uh, a 17th century Puritan believer, written while he was detained in a prison cell, and he was basically imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And it is, of course, as many of you know, an allegory, a story which has hidden or uh, symbolic parallel meaning. Uh, So a modern-day equivalent might, for example, be uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, a lion witch in the wardrobe with Aslan as the Christ figure, etc. I love Pilgrim's Progress. I try and read it once a year. And uh, my little girl is just three and a half now. I think she's getting to the point where I could actually read this to her as well. It's about a man called Christian who has a book in his hand, that's the Bible, and a burden on his back, that's his sin. And uh, he doesn't quite know what to do about this burden on his back. Because the book is telling him that he is to be judged and destroyed as he resides in the city of destruction. All he knows is that he has to cry out, what must I do to be saved? So he he knows he needs rescued from it. So along comes a man called Evangelist, who shows Christian the way to be free from his burden... And points him towards this small wicket gate through which Christian will be led to a cross and off he goes. But here's the thing. Uh, on the way, Christian meets a second man called Worldly Wise Man. Who makes evangelist out to be some kind of fool with foolish advice. He says, why are you listening to that evangelist? That way that he is showing you only leads to exhaustion, Pain, danger, sword, lions, and the like. Well, Christian appeals and says, Look, I I know what I want. I want to be free from this burden. And worldly wise man says to him, Well, listen to me. I'll show you what you need. That way you can have relief from your burden without facing all of those difficulties. And here's what we read. In that village over there, that one called morality, a gentleman called legality lives he's a sensible type with a good reputation and has the ability to help men get rid of your kind of burden and to crown your happiness you can be sure you'll live a respected and respectable life among honest neighbors in good style bringing credit to yourself sound like a nice place to live it does to many Christian turned off his course to go to Mr. Legality's house, but when he got close to the hill, it seemed too high. Furthermore, the side of the hill, which was next to the road, hung over so much that Christian was afraid to venture near in case the hill fell on his head. So he stood still, not knowing what to do, and his burden, too, seemed heavier than when he had been on his course. What's more, flashes of fire came out of the hill which made Christian very afraid that he would be burned and he began to tremble with fear. And just as Christian was feeling sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wise Man's advice, he saw Evangelist coming to meet him and at the sight of him began to blush. Evangelist says, didn't I show you the little wicket gate? Yes, dear sir. How is it that you have turned off so quickly? You're well off course now. Oh, I met a gentleman who persuaded me that I might find a man in the village ahead who would take off my burden. What was he? asked Evangelist. Oh, he looked like a gentleman. He talked a great deal and finally got me to yield. And here I am. Evangelist said, There are three things about this man's advice which you must utterly hate. Hate. First, his turning you off the way. Second, his efforts to make the cross seem detestable. Third, his setting your feet on the road that leads to death. The man to which he is sending you, legality, is the son of a slave woman who lives in slavery with her children. The hill is Mount Sinai, which you feel feared would fall on your head. To this day, no one has ever rid himself of his burden through legality nor is anyone else ever likely to by observing the law no one will be justified because by the deeds of the law no man can be rid of his burden what an incredible summary of the book of Galatians right there it's phenomenal the Galatians are like Christian in the story with a burden on his back Paul, the Apostle Paul, is like Evangelist, pointing to the narrow gate, that's where you're going to get to the cross that's how you'll find freedom from sin, and the false teachers who are coming along, talking about circumcision and observing certain feasts and days and so on are like worldly wise man who promises deliverance from the burden without costliness, by pointing to legality, legalism the law, sin is only made heavier though the burden is made heavier because the law that no one can keep hangs, a dangerous overhang over people who fear the crush of judgment. And in this section in Galatians 4, we have Paul again acting like evangelist, saying, why have you gone off course? I need to tell you these things about this worldly advice that makes you think works, work. In terms of making yourself right with God. He's turned you off the way these false teachers. Paul can say. The efforts make the cross seem detestable. And you're setting your feet on a road that leads to death. What a stark warning for any one of us here tonight. Who thinks that we can make ourselves right with God by doing good things. In the end it leads to death. It will make the burden heavier. And it will make the cross out to be worth Nothing. There are two things I want to do, two questions I think we need to ask uh, in order to understand this. And this is going to be a 30,000 feet flyover, okay? Uh, first of all, in verses 12 to 20, we should be asking the question, who will you listen to? And then from verses 21 to 31, secondly, who do you belong to? I think those are the two questions that we need to consider. So the question that's asked of the Galatians in 4 12 to 20 is, who will you listen to? Paul or the false teachers is essentially the option. And to help them decide, Paul very helpfully here just lays before them a series of contrasts. uh, Contrasting appeal and contrasting motivations. So Paul's appeal, first of all, is become like me. What does Paul mean by this? You see that there, of course, in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. I think it can only mean one thing. I think it can only, the drum that Paul has been beating all the way through Galatians, and if you've been listening, you should have heard it as well, is that a man is not justified by observing the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. That's all. Paul has just repeatedly, for our four chapters, uh, drummed this message home. And Paul wants the Galatians then to become like him in his Christian faith, to live in the freedom of faith in Christ, not in the chains of legalism, of law-keeping, and to share Paul's convictions, of course, about the truth of the gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's a gift of grace received by faith alone. So it's because of that freedom then, of course, that Paul was able to share the gospel with them. Because he wasn't restricted by dietary laws and the like, he could, as he says in verse 12, become like them. And we we see this in other texts that Paul has written in 1 Corinthians. Paul became like others so that others could come to know Christ. Christ. So again, Paul is like evangelist in Pilgrim's Progress, walking around free from his burden, able to share the good news with others. Paul's appeal, become like me. Then the false teacher's appeal, actually is the same, become like me. Uh, and here's where Paul really unmasks the false teachers uh, and starts to lay something of their motives on the table for us. Uh, if you go over briefly to chapter 6 and verse 12, just over the page. You'll read. As Paul talks about the false teachers. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to become circumcised. In other words, their appeal is become like me, an observer of the law. That, uh, to be circumcised, observe special days and the like. And again, like Pilgrim's Progress, they are, they are like worldly wise men say, hey, come on. Let me introduce you to Mr. Legality. The question is, who do you listen to in that regard? Because I don't think these uh, temptations are very different from the ones that we face today. You might be struggling in your Christian faith. You might uh, have a stumbling block before you, not knowing what to do. You might feel particularly burdened about, about your sin in a particular area. And failing to understand the freedom that you have in the gospel if you would only confess your sin. You may have this wrongful view that that you need to try harder. You You need to be a better Christian if you want to make sure you get into heaven. Well, how misleading can that be? We struggle with this thing where we think if only we can do this, then we'll make ourselves a little bit more presentable before God. And sometimes we do that not necessarily because of a certain sin that we struggle with, but just because even the concept of free grace, a gift, is a little bit hard for us to take. It's difficult, in a sense, for our pride to rest on such grace. We sometimes think, oh, such favor is for for other people, for really sinful people, you know, like You know, beggarly people. We don't want to live by a heavenly welfare system. We can think along those lines. And that mindset can work its way into our lives very, very subtly. We want to earn our salvation and make up for our mistakes. We think that we'll go to heaven because we'll deserve to be there. But that's wrong. That's the heart of legalism. That's not receiving the gospel. And in fact, we need to see the dangers of it, how it nullifies the cross nullifies the work of Jesus Christ and robs God of his glory that was only ever meant for him you see if people are justified through obedience to the law then fundamentally uh, glory goes to people rather than to God and God has said I am the Lord and I alone I will not give my glory to another And you can think of what it would say to God the Father if you make out that the cross means nothing. That it's redundant. That it's ultimately unnecessary. Oh, I would never be drawn away by something like that. Well, I think we can all fall prey to a kind of worldly wise man who fundamentally drew Christian away from the right path Towards an upright, a way of living that it was upright that avoided the cross altogether we must be wary of that and ensure that we are listening to the true gospel and understanding grace in all its beauty keep a watch out for that, there are contrasting appeals that Paul sets before us, become like me false teachers, no become like me Secondly, contrasting motivations. Paul's motivation is plain here for us. Uh, He he pretty much looks upon them with a real motherly affection. Uh, Verse 19, look with me. My dear children. Here's affection in that. You know, Paul's been very blunt in this letter so far. Uh, You foolish Galatians. Who's cast a spell on you? You know, he's been very strong in his language with them. But still... He doesn't fail to get across his affection for them. Truly, he loves them. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. That's Paul's aim for them. And that's what every pastor, every elder should see and long to see in the lives of every member of a church family. To see them take on the very likeness of Christ himself. It's John Calvin who said, if ministers want to do any good, let them labor to form Christ and not themselves in their hearers. What wise words. Uh, How reflective is that of Paul's longing for these Galatians? And uh, look at what he's going through to to try and pursue that goal. Labor. Labor. What a striking image. Uh, It doubles up really as a rebuke for the Galatians in some sense, as if It's as if he's saying, I really feel like I've already gone through labor in order to deliver you from darkness to light. And now, because of this whole situation and your regression, shall we say, I feel like I'm going to have to give birth to you all over again. It's not nice. And we see, though, the motivation. The sacrifice. He's willing to go through that pain. And we see this again in other places. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Paul saying, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's his aim. That's his motivation. What about the false teachers? Well, they had a zeal really for promoting self. They had a selfish eye on making much of themselves. Not Christ. And for the benefit of themselves, not their people. Verse 17 tells us what drives these false teachers. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no goods. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for for Christ. For the gospel. No, for them. And basically what BBC's Panorama does for injustice and dodgy dealings, Paul does for the Galatians. Just says, look, these false teachers, they want to make a good impression on you, but it's all for their own benefit. Like some loan shark offering you a way out of debt only to bleed you dry as he bathes in champagne on his Caribbean yacht. Their motivation is a promotion of self is selfish gain. Now, we have to say, False teachers are around today. It's not just a first century problem, you understand. They're around today. Uh, And admittedly, they can sometimes be very, very hard to spot. Sometimes I think they don't even know that they're teaching false doctrines themselves. But you want to know the best way to try and spot a false teacher, the best way to try and figure out who are you going to listen to, It's quite simple, isn't it? It's give yourself to the study of the word of God. And study it diligently. Know what it says. Part of the training to be a CIA agent includes learning to detect and spot counterfeit money. And you would think that the thing that would help them do that best would be to study the fakes. But, But no, the thing that actually enables agents to spot counterfeit money is that they spend a lot of time apparently studying the real deal genuine bills so in the same way brothers and sisters let's not underestimate the importance of careful study of the true word of God and defense against such false teaching and if you're here today and you're not a Christian we're really glad you're here can I encourage you don't just listen to what people say don't even just listen to what I'm saying uh, God's word is authoritative. It is true. It is right. It has to come through a sinful instrument like me. Uh, your respons- my responsibility is to discharge my duties in trying to preach this as best I can. Your responsibility is to take it away and test it to see if what I've said is true. And test it by the measuring line that is, the plumb line that is the perfect, flawless word of God. Uh, Have you read it? Uh, Have you studied it? As you think through the worldly wise men that try and entice you into different ways of living, maybe to help ease the burden that you feel because of your conscience, maybe because you are actually at this point keenly aware of your sin, Uh, read the Bible. Uh, Read the law if you like. Read the Ten Commandments. See how many you fail on. You're failing them all. Just as I did. And then... Flee to Christ and see the free grace that is extended to you. Because the law is meant to be a mirror showing you your sin. You cannot do it. It really is like a crag hanging over you. It's going to topple at any point and crush you. And the flashes of fire and thunder from the top like in Pilgrim's Progress remind us of God's just judgment. And if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to the right way through the wicked gate to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, then that judgment will come it's not a popular truth but it's true still my encouragement for you is to come to him read the Bible ask the person who brought you and let them show you the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who will you listen to? the true preachers of the gospel as Paul has had this remember from chapter 1 the divine origin Paul received it from Christ Jesus himself It's been validated. It is coming to us, even as we read it now in a pure form. Who will you listen to? Don't listen to the wisdom of the world. Listen only to the word of God. That's the first thing. Secondly, who do you belong to? Again, the challenge in this section is to those who follow worldly wise men towards mr legality's house verse 21 paul says tell me you who want to live under the law are you not aware of what the law says now paul is using the word law in two different ways here you who want to live under the law that is in accordance with the religious the the stipulations of the law uh but When he uses law in the second part of that sentence, he's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament as the law. That's the designation that it had in the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is really clever by Paul. See what he's doing here? He is essentially squaring up to the false teachers who appealed to the first five books of the Old Testament in order to promote the necessity of obeying Jewish practices. By appealing to those first five books himself. As if to say, okay, okay, you want to talk about the law? Let's talk about the law. And then he gives them a history lesson. And then a religious education. All at the same time. So let's go through the history lesson. It starts with Abraham. Founding father of the Jewish faith. One of the loudest and proudest boasts of these false teachers at the time. Was that they were one of his children. So Paul states in verse 22. Verse 22. Uh, talking about sorry starts in verse 22 talking about Abraham having two sons not to the same mother and of course he's reverting to this passage that we read earlier in our service can I have the next slide up this might make it just a little bit easier for us uh, lay out in a bit of a diagram for you you have Abraham the father they are chosen by God to be the father of nations the recipient of a promise you will be the father of many nations two sons Uh, Ishmael and Isaac, born to two different mothers. Hagar, slave woman who worked for Abraham. And when it says in verse 22a that that he, uh, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, it basically means that Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands, thinking, we're never going to have any kids. How is this going to happen? Look at the age of us. This is impossible. So why don't you take Hagar and have a child with her? Well, that's because they were trying to take things into their own hands. That's what it means. Born according to the flesh basically means that was a sinful thing to do. Uh, So uh, then, of course, you have uh, Isaac, who was the one who was born according to the promise. We saw that in our reading earlier on. And the reason why uh, it is so amazing that Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, in other words, not a slave, Uh, became pregnant in her own age because it was all according to the work of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it could only have been God at work again so he gets the glory and Paul's big thing for us big aim in presenting this whole situation is to tee up a comparison Two sons, one born by proxy, one born by promise. One born according to works, one born according to faith, one born into slavery, one born into freedom. Okay? That's the comparison. So he's basically picking up on themes that he's, uh, he's used and spoken of the whole way through Galatians. Slavery and freedom. Uh, grace and works. And then he tells us in verse 24 to 27 what it means. He gives us a religious education. Next slide. Uh, So he takes this actual historical situation and allegorizes it. Uh, What has actually happened in the Old Testament, he teaches an important lesson through it. Hagar stands for the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, represented by Sinai and the law. And her son, amazingly he says this, her son even represents... Uh, The Judaistic religion of the day represents Jerusalem. That is a phenomenal thing for Paul to say. All you guys who think you are the Jerusalem, the people of God, you're Ishmael. You're born according to sin. You're slaves, not sons, as you think you are. That is quite a thing to say. But Sarah, of course, the free woman, stands for the new covenant, the heavenly Jerusalem that has Christ as its head and is being formed even now as his kingdom. She stands for the new covenant, a covenant of grace. And Paul's main point is that Hagar, Sarah, represents those two different approaches again to how how a person is made right with God. Law and grace, flesh against spirit, self-reliance versus divine dependence. All to get across that it's by grace that you are saved. According to the gracious initiative of the Holy Spirit because you're divinely dependent on him given your total inability to come to him because of your sin you're not able to deal with the burden by yourself and it must have been absolutely shocking for them to hear this but Paul is eager to help these Galatians see their error and we need to ask of all of this because it's quite confusing what on earth does it mean why does it matter why does it matter because Paul wants to do what he's always done. And what we should always do regularly, frequently, underline the truth of the gospel. That it, again, it is by faith that a person is made right with God, not by works. No, salvation by works, making yourself right with God based on your own efforts, as George Whitfield said, is like trying to climb to the moon on a rope made of sand. It is utterly futile. And I have no problem week after week after week after week trying to beat this into your heads. It's so important because I know the tendency in my own heart and the subtlety of my sinful nature to drag me off the path and to pull me towards Mr. Legality's house. where I think that if only I could do better then God would love me more no God loves me with a perfect love God loves me not according to the basis of my own performance but according to his holy perfect unchangeable nature and character as he does you Paul's allegory highlights the foolishness of the Galatians these false teachers who question my authority and question my gospel, who think that everyone should observe the law, don't realize that they are slaves facing judgment. They cannot attain a standard of holiness that truly will save them. And Paul's appeal to the Galatians is like the word of evangelists to the Christian, pointing them back to the right track we are not children of the slave women slave but what of the free women in other words we who believe who have been saved through faith in our lord jesus christ are truly abraham's descendants that means truly children of god truly belonging to him and the inheritance of eternal life is ours it's our possession. And no one can take it away. And I can't wait till we get into five. But I'm going to read verse one. Because this is Paul's point. In asking them, who are you listening to? Who do you belong to? He's saying to them, live in freedom. Just like I'm living in freedom. Received by Christ. Preaching Christ. And then stand in freedom. Don't be put into the manacles of the stocks of slavery again. Oh, I'm going to have to go into labor for a third time. Listen, it is for, what's the word? Freedom that Christ has set us free. So what have you to do? Try harder? What does it say? Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A man is not justified by observing the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It was the same. It was true then. It's true today. Brothers and sisters, do not be yoked by the slavery of legalism. But trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. And and friend, if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian free grace is offered to you tonight if you would only confess your sin turn from it turn to God in faith believing banking everything on Jesus Christ who said whoever comes to me I will never drive away will you do that tonight I know what it is to be to stand in freedom and to live in freedom to be rid of the burden on your back and to lift your hands in praise and glory to our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I pray you will. Let's pray together. Our Father, we-